This time on Poll Hub, our brand new poll with NPR and the PBS NewsHour tells us a lot about how Americans are feeling about Joe Biden and his big America Jobs Act bill, along with how to pay for it. Plus, some surprising results on transgender rights. It's become a cultural issue, especially for Republicans. But wait until we tell you what Republicans in our poll think. And finally, Lee's fun fact, and it's about his favorite topic, baseball. So let's play ball. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. I'm Lee Marengoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. So, latest polls out, and we've got a lot of stuff in here. Let's do the, the headline first. Um, you know, maybe it's not the headline, but it's the headline for Joe Biden. Highest approval rating in our poll to date, and he's only been in office three months, but 53%. Uh, higher number than the predecessor ever got, so he's probably happy with that. Uh, but there's a lot more in here, but maybe we start there. What do we think about this? Well, yeah, I think its approval rating is really interesting. And we started, uh, you know, right uh, after he took office. And he was just below that 50% mark. And he's literally been, and although it doesn't feel statistically different each time, but every time we have polled, he has inched up slightly uh, to be 53% um, at this point in time. Um, but I think another interesting thing is he's, you know, uh, the first thing he did was to uh, get the Recovery Act passed, uh, which had a lot to do with pumping dollars into the economy uh, and to get people vaccinated. Um, so far, he has gotten high marks on that. Um, but in this poll, we also asked about what people's opinions were on the national jobs plan that he is now proposing, uh, focused on infrastructure, climate change, job creation, and infrastructure probably broadly defined, especially uh, we did ask Americans what we think of that. But 56% of Americans support uh, the plan, uh, what they've heard or seen about it. Um, it's, it's a it's a lot of dollars, but there are lots and lots of opinions about how to fund it. Interestingly enough, the proposals that President Biden is making um, for how to pay for this in terms of corporate taxes, um, in terms of uh, earnings on U U.S. corporations um, in other countries are much more popular than some of the potential suggestions for tax increases, such as uh, the gas tax or usage fees, which few Americans are for. I was just, I was just uh, thinking, you know, you made a point, uh, first of all, uh, about his approval rating and where it stands relative to Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the 40-something president, and it looks like Joe Biden at this point is the 50-something president uh, because those seems to be the numbers we're getting and other people are getting as well. Uh, at this point in uh, Donald Trump's um, administration tenure in office in April of 17, uh, his approval rating was 39%. It was not 40, it was 39. Um, and his uh, upside down figure was 9%, um, nine points. Um, Joe Biden's a plus 14. So the gap between the low number of Donald Trump and the high number of Joe Biden is 23 points. Um, so we're seeing a very different um, first round. Uh, I guess we're pushing uh, uh, oh, you know, around 90 days, 85, 90 days of his time. But the other point I wanted to make, and, and 
And this goes to the second uh, element of what you're saying before we really dig into the infrastructure is that Joe Biden's doing popular things. And he's doing those popular things well, as far as public opinion is concerned. So on handling the coronavirus, Donald Trump, that was his Achilles heel. Joe Biden's doing very well in not this poll that we took, but all our polls up, we didn't ask it this time, but all the polls we've taken of him, uh, that's really been his strong suit. Yeah, nearly two thirds of Americans uh, give him positive scores on um, on the coronavirus in our last poll, which was last. And, and, and that be- connects very closely with what Joe Biden's Achilles heel was during the campaign, and that was the economy. So the relationship of his handling the coronavirus and now getting strong marks on the economy is a one-two punch that puts him no other conclusion you can take, a very successful three months in office. Um, and then the question is infrastructure. And that will that be also a popular initiative? It seems to be, as far as people wanting that, you know, the country to move in that way, some disagreement over how we would pay for it. Well, you know, I think that I think that as the economy also opens up, President Biden definitely benefits from that. Uh, we saw that his numbers lagging initially on the economy. Um, and as uh, I, you know, we're moving into spring, more people are getting vaccinated, more businesses are opening up um, around the country. Uh, his his uh, rating on the economy from Americans is now in the mid 50s, 54 percent. So that that's a big that's a that's a big deal for him because, as you mentioned, that was not his strength either in the election or going forward. I might also just add is that um, you were comparing him, Lee, to Trump's numbers, but Biden's numbers are actually tracking pretty closely to President Obama's uh, numbers and the, and the scores that he was getting uh, in the first few months during the recession in 2009. So they both come in with um, problems and issues uh, that people don't attribute to them. In other words, I don't think uh, Biden owns, you know, the pandemic um, as just as Obama didn't own the recession. Um, and, the, and the significant actions that they've taken, I think, have uh, served them well, at least in the court of public opinion. It hasn't closed the partisan gaps, um, but it, it certainly um, has uh, moved them over the 50-yard marker. I'm going to turn to Jay in a second. Um, I have, uh, uh, after I make a point, uh, we did, we left out the fact that on the tax on the infrastructure, uh, taxing people $400,000 a year or more is popular, uh, that we didn't talk about. And then I have a question about Jay Dapper, but first he has a comment, and then I have a question to you. Yeah, I want to look at the crosstabs. I mean, what interests me about our polls is crosstabs, uh, about all polls, but that's where, as a reporter, I go. And I think there's a whole bunch of interesting numbers in here that really cut to what we're talking about. First off, uh, in the presidential approval rating, his Republican support is at 12%. Donald Trump never got 12% of Democrats. He's getting all the Democrats, and just as Donald Trump got all the Republicans. And the independents are breaking towards uh, towards Biden as well. The one thing that, and you go look at men and women, you can do all these things that, and, and, and they look the same kind of way. One thing that really struck me though, is when we're looking at the approval rating, uh, is the, we talk about the non-college and the college whites and all that. 
the, he's not getting any of the male non-college whites. It's just like, it's 32% approval rating. This is a really hard group for him. And the crazy thing about Joe Biden is this is who he wants, right? This is, this is who he thinks of his base, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Joe Biden, and they just aren't rallying around him right now. So that's on the approval rating. I think on the, what really strikes me about the, uh, the uh, infrastructure bill is not the overall number. Do you like it or do you not? I think until you ask people about what's in there or how to pay for it, I don't think you get you know, great answers. I think you get kind of generic answers. But do you want to pay for it with a tax on people making over 400 grand? Yeah, majority say yes. Do you want to pay for it with taxes on everybody? No. Gas tax? No way. Use taxes? No way. Make corporations pay taxes on their foreign earnings, what they make overseas? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So these all line up kind of, I think, with what our expectations are. But when you look at the Republican numbers on this, and I, you know, I don't mean to hammer on this this, this partisan gap here the, 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 the we see all the time. But when you look at that four hundred thousand dollar a year number, one third of Republicans support that. That's a lot of Republicans to me supporting the idea of raising taxes. Full stop. That's a big number for Republicans, but raising them on over $400,000 a year, I think that's a really interesting number in here. That really, really struck me as a movement in self-identifying Republicans. And when you look at independents, it's, it's kind of even more clear because independents, six and six out of, uh, or sorry, uh, two out of three, 66% support this idea of a $400,000 tax on people making over $400,000 a year. Is it also about, is it also about the change of who the Republican Party is right now? Right. I mean, that, but that's what I'm getting at is these are self-identified Republicans that are saying these things. And the Republican Party, as we know, is not, there's not as many people self-identifying as Republicans as there used to be. So these are the people who are in the party, who are, you know, the ones, saying, who, the ones who remain. Right. Yeah, the they're the ones who remain. remain. And even then, one third of them say, yep, Let's raise taxes on people over four hundred grand a year, making over four hundred grand a year. But also, but also, uh, you know, Republicans uh, used to be, um, you know, higher educated, higher income, um, corporate. Um, that's not really the base of the Republican Party anymore. Yeah, they've left the party, right? Yeah, <laughs> we call those people Democrats. <laughs> Right, well, it's the populist part of the Republican. I, I think, Barb, your point is, I think what, you, what you're getting at, what I didn't really get the first time, is that the, the, the people who are self-identifying as Republicans who are supporting this, this is this new populist part of the Republican Party. And it is new, and it is different. I mean, it's new, and it's old again, whatever. Uh, but it is different. And I think this is a very telling number um, that gets at the newer composition of the new Republican Party. You're right to where I wanted to ask you a question, Jay. Remember I promised you a question? Before? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, please. You just, you just teed that up for me. I will say before I ask the question, however, that you're talking about taxes within the Republican Party. And I just, my mind went off about George Herbert Walker Bush. You know, I will not raise your taxes. And he did. And kaboom, that was uh, problems for him. And now so many Republicans of what's left of the Republican Party are the different populist way. Anyway. That point well taken. I want you to talk about. Where's the you know, question, Lee? Get question to the question, Lee. Question coming up. What? You, yeah. You're filibustering. Oh, no. Don't, don't, don't make me stand and do that. Um, all right. So here's the deal. In, presidents in power or very often have a tough time in the midterm elections. We're going to start talking about that increasingly coming up because the House is so closely divided, as is the Senate. Couldn't be any more closely divided in the Senate. Um, and yet some of the early prognosticators are saying, well, this may not happen this time. 
uh, don't rule the Democrats out. And I'm looking at you know Biden's approval rating, and I'm thinking, well, 2010 was an awful year for uh, Barack Obama. 2018 was a bad year for Donald Trump. Does 2022 automatically have to be a bad year for Joe Biden? Or, and here's the question, by Donald Trump staying the focus within the Republican Party, is it still become somewhat of a referendum on Donald Trump's Republican Party? And that's different. Oh, my goodness, Lee. I think we could do a whole podcast just on that. Yeah, that's like that's like six dimensional chess, Lee. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I'll just be honest. I don't know. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> can I mention? Can I mention one of that? Because we we need to move on. But there is one other thing in the crosstabs that I, I think I don't understand. When asked if if people consider long term health care to be part of the country's infrastructure, a majority, fifty eight percent, yet said yes, but thirty five percent of Republicans said that. What planet are we on? I don't get that. Who are they? I do think I do think it's very interesting. And, and I did want to also point out that we, we asked about what people thought infrastructure was. And and I know we're getting the rap sign on this segment, but um, but it's um, you know, it, it is very interesting. Infrastructure is something that has been. Uh, on the wish list, I think, of many Americans. It's not glamorous. It's not exciting. Um, but we all experience it every day. And I just found it fascinating that we actually have such a significant consensus on what infrastructure is. 96% of Americans pointed to roads, bridges, and ports as part of our infrastructure, which, which makes sense. I feel like that's the Webster definition of infrastructure. 89% uh, talked about supplies, um, pipes that supply our public drinking water. Um, and we certainly have felt some of the repercussions of not keeping up those, uh, um, uh, a, a supply of public drinking water that is safe. 85% uh, points of the electric grid. Um, and then even 62% talking about broadband internet service. And then we get to what you said, um, Jay, which is 58% still talk about long-term health care as infrastructure. Um, we, we actually asked about facilities. Uh, so in a sense, health care is still top of mind for many Americans. I think it is interesting because it has been considered more of a Democratic issue than a Republican one. But obviously, there's a lot of support there, too. Yeah, during the New Deal uh, after the Great Depression, Franklin Roosevelt put a lot of stuff in place really quickly. And a lot of it was sort of infrastructure, but in a traditional sense, but a lot of it had to do with things like social security and you know public works projects and all kinds of uh, other broader definitions of, of infrastructure. But Barb, you're gonna talk to us about another topic that we pulled only this week. Yeah, thank you, Lee. You're quite um, So yeah, in our latest NPR PBS NewsHour Maris poll, we also asked Americans about the transgender legislation that we're seeing um, pop up in a number of different states at the state level. But what we did do is we started off by asking um, about the 2021 Equality Act, which would, ex which would expand the civil rights uh, legislation that is currently on the books at the federal level um, to sexual orientation and gender identity. And um, I think you, 
J-U-T's that um, there, there are some interesting points uh, in, this, in this data, one of which is that this is another consensus issue. 63% of Americans uh, support the 2021 Equality Act, including 90% of Democrats, but nearly a third of Republicans as well. So we talk about this partisan polarization. We talk about the culture clash. Um, but this is there's there's more going on here uh, that meets the eyes. What what did you guys pick out of uh, this particular uh, survey that uh, you found especially startling? I, 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 I'm reacting to the number you just said. Every time we rent Republicans right now, uh, today on this podcast, it seems to be the number's about a third. So there's clearly a third of Republicans who are thinking very differently than the dominant group. Um, I think age was important in these numbers. Uh, I don't think I was surprised by that. Uh, younger people are more uh, tolerant uh, than older people. Um, I thought one thing I found very interesting is um, where this where is this issue of the sort of like the public consciousness and the people who know someone who's transgender? Um, obviously, that number's increased fairly significantly, um, but their views on a lot of topics are not all that different. They're more tolerant, but not overwhelmingly than people who don't know someone. And so we're actually getting to the point where I think the tolerance is of transgender people is, is, is more permeating throughout the culture, despite there being a culture clash in Washington over this very issue. But Jay, what's your take? Yeah, well, actually, I, I wanna point out a number and, and something we found, but I also wanna ask Barb a question because this goes to polling science. And I think this is, you know, we're in the sweet spot of this podcast on this particular thing. We asked about several bills that are in front of state legislatures. And I, I think it's fair to say that Republicans in state legislatures have used uh, some transgender bills as kind of a, a cultural sword, if you will, or, um, in, in the way, you know, a cultural issue. So one of them is about sports teams. Should people who, uh, you know, pick an identity, pick a gender, should they be allowed to play on the team of the gender they pick? But here's the one that, that I want to understand better. Do you support or oppose a bill that criminalizes providing gender transition related medical care for minors? Do you support or oppose a bill that does this? So 65% of Americans oppose bills that criminalize this, including 75% of Democrats and 55% of Republicans. Did, did Republicans misunderstand the question or do 55% of Republicans actually oppose bills because these are the bills they're passing. This is the kind of bill that in Arkansas, the Republican governor, Asa Hutchinson, vetoed and it was overridden it, almost instantly by Republicans in, in the state house. Yeah, and I think what we find very interesting in, in this particular survey, and again, this is a national survey, uh, so we're talking to Republicans uh, nationally, not within any particular state, but I think, I think in terms of this particular legislation, the Republican legislatures are speaking to a, a very uh, small targeted part of their base. Uh, they're looking to the primary voter. They're looking to energize um, a base that brought um, Donald Trump to the White House and almost got him reelected. So this, yes, when you say they're driving a sword, um, you know, 
down down the, the, the middle. It's not just of Americans. They're driving, I think they're driving that sword uh, down the middle of the Republican Party. Um, and so it really does remain to be seen how that does play out. Right now, they've been incredibly you know, successful doing that because of the, um, the small proportion of Republicans who uh, do turn out in primaries. And then the choice in a general election is, is it, do you want the Democrat or do you want the Republican? And I think that um, you know, Republicans, just like Democrats, have been more likely to kind of stomach perhaps a couple of issues um, that they don't care as much about um, in order to vote for a Republican. So there hasn't been any cost to Republicans thus far um, on this issue um, or on many of these issues, except nationally. Yep. I think presidentially, it makes a very significant difference. But my question real quick on this is when we ask a question like, do you support or oppose like another one, a bill that mm -hmm. prohibits. Yes, absolutely. There's that confusion thing. And I know that there's a lot of survey science over years mm -hmm. about how to phrase these questions because because they get asked a lot. And so I just a quick explanation of why this is the best way to phrase these questions um, to prevent confusion. Yeah, well, there's a choice here of whether you want to deal with the issue or whether you want to deal with the legislation. And so we did. We, we are very, very conscious about that kind of double negative. In other words, you're supporting a ban, so you're supporting a negative, and it 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 can be it can be oddly heard, especially um, on the telephone. Um, we we were very conscious on these particular questions to point out that the legislation was prohibiting the legislation was not allowing, the legislation was stopping. Um, and I think using um, those types of words um, in the question wording is more helpful than just to say a ban or the, the you know, the legislation, um, you know, says, you know, X, Y, or Z. Because I, I think um, you, the point you make is a very significant one. However, I think everybody understood this question. Right. I mean, it's very consistent throughout the, the questions that we asked. We asked a number of questions about um, whether um, there was support for a bill that prohibits transgender student athletes from join, joining sports teams, um, whether um, there's uh, people supported a bill that prohibits gender transate transition-related medical care for minors, um, and then the one that you mentioned about whether they um, uh, would support a bill that criminalized the providing of that medical care. And in each instance, um, we, about um, just short of th uh, three in 10 Americans um, supported those kinds of bans, those kinds of prohibitions, um, and a large proportion of Republicans um, oppose that type of legislation. I think what we saw uh, in this poll is a couple of things. One, strong consensus for um, the Equality Act at the national level, a lack of appetite for legislation that will uh, prohibit um, these things at the state level, um, the only place that where we saw that uh, things got more complex, I think, was when we, we asked of several questions um, about whether or not student athletes should be able to play on sports teams that match their gender identity. And then we saw more of a division. And then again, this is, this is on the playground. This is people thinking about uh, their school district, the children in their area. Um, and, but what was interesting is we asked the different levels 
grade school, middle school, high school, college, and the, the feeling was the same, that there was this the division um, about whether this should be the case, but certainly no division about whether it should be legislated. Hey, Lee, we've got a minute for your fun fact, and that's about all we have, so go. Go, go, fun fact time. Um, anyway, this is uh, baseball season, opening day, uh, not too uh, long in, in our rearview mirror. The Yankees are comfortably in last place in the American League East, so I'm miserable about the opening of the season. <laughs> so, I, yeah, but it's April. Yeah, know. They, you know, they always have a I know, but they, they, The games count now as much as they do in September, and I, say, I wish they kind of understand that. All right, right fun, fun fact. Later. Fun fact. Um, USA Today, 1989, uh, asked a question about how closely Americans follow baseball. So we're talking 32 years ago. And I'll just give you the not at all figure. It was 18%. People said, I don't follow baseball at all. Since then, 2010, that number became in our numbers 52%. 2018, 56%. October of 2020, 63%. More than three times the people who were taking a pass on baseball, not to mix sports metaphor, of course, um, but my concern is, so you're watching the baseball on TV right now. Or streaming it. Or streaming it, thank you. And there's a lot of empty seats because of, you know, social distancing and all that. The question is, if there weren't the empty seats, were there still, you know, if there weren't the limitations on people, is interest getting to the point where maybe people would not be filling the seats even if they could? Uh, baseball has problems. It's showing in these numbers. The game is, unfortunately, for baseball fans, a little too slow. And yet, when they tinker with it, like putting the extra inning, the guy on second base to start the extra innings, I mean, traditionalists say, what's going on here? So the answer is, baseball's got some issues it's got to come to grips with, um, not the least of which is the fact that now you have social distancing, um, which is affecting the, the attendance. Thanks for your fun fact. But for, for baseball fans, I'm not so sure how fun that is. Yeah, well, Jay, Jay, Jay you're a big baseball fan, I know. Um, what do you make of all this? <laughs> uh, video games have ruined all sports. How's that? Okay, well, there you go, Barb. You got to take. Well, yeah, you know, in baseball's favor, um, we have seen a decline uh, in many of the other sports as well during the pandemic. Uh, so there is. And before. Uh, before, and before, yes, but particularly uh, during the pandemic year where we thought people might have more time to pay attention. I was hoping one of the two of you had the fun part, but we'll have to find a fun fact that's just a lot of fun next week. And that's going to do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in beautiful Poughkeepsie, New York. I'm Mary Griffith and Poll Hub's executive producer. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rounding out our production team are Casey Schaff, our production supervisor, Amelia Morell, our production assistant, and Marcello Bettman, our trusted editor. Of course, thanks to the Roper Center Archive at Cornell University. They provide us with the ability to look back at survey questions and results over the decades. And if you have questions or comments, reach out to us on social media. We're at Maris Poll on Twitter and Maris Poll on Facebook and Instagram. Finally, if you like what you hear on Poll Hub, please consider leaving us a review on your podcasting app of choice. Positive reviews help others find us. And while you're at it, why not go ahead and subscribe? Again, thanks for being here. We'll catch you next week.